1: Today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So... If you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats, meets, West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, My nephew needs me to record. See, I,
2: hate, I already hate it, I hate it.
1: All right, welcome back to a Monday afternoon edition of the chase Thomas podcast i am now joined by someone that i worked for years ago i am extremely old now not as old as this person because i think he's been doing sports talk radio in atlanta for at least 40 50 years at this point but matt chernoff who is now invading my podcasting space with welcome uh to Lana. matt good afternoon how are you
0: Chase, that was an introduction that I've never had before. Thank you for dating me. That makes me feel good. Yes, I'm old now.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, how many years have you been doing uh, Sports Talk Radio now? Let's see. I, uh, well, I mean, I, I got into the business in 97,
0: started doing a full-time show in 2000, so it'll be 20 years coming up here at the end of this year, in April of next year, yeah.
1: See, I didn't have to date you myself. I could have just asked that question to open it up, and then you're, you would feel dated um, on, your, on, uh, on your behalf.
0: That's very fair. No question.
1: <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I, in the interest of full disclosure, because this is a very um, forward-facing uh, podcast, that uh, I did intern for you one semester years ago. Indeed.
0: Yep. Which I, gosh, looking back, Tell the audience how great I am to intern for. I treat the interns wonderfully.
1: I will confirm, and I have family members that will also attest to this, that um, I did say I enjoyed working for you more than Chuck.
0: Yes, that's all it is. Small victories in life, and I'll take that one.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Carlos has been on this podcast a couple times, like Carlos. Um, Hoyt, I think, I'm not sure if he actually hates me. I don't think he has an opinion, but it's hard to get an actual read on what he thinks about you as a person, but um, I, I'm not sure.
0: I think he likes it that way. It's sort of cloaked in uh, the mystery, so you're sort of left mm-hmm. wondering as, as the relationship goes along whether you're uh, you know accepted or not, so
1: you might never know. There you go. <laughs> I, I probably will never know. Um, so how are things going with the show right now? Everything is good. They still have us on the air, and it, to me, the bar is just set
0: out. If they allow us to come back in the building and be on the air the next day, that's a win.
1: Yeah, um, the big. You know what's interesting now? It seems like because there was a little bit of shuffling, and now you have Nick and Chris at the ten, uh, the nine to twelve slot. You have the front row moving to the morning. You guys have been in your spot. Buck and Kate have been in their spot. But do you feel now like those four shows are in the right places with the right people, and that there's like some, uh, there's just a nice groove with the big four?
0: I think they fit well. I mean, everybody, there, there's something probably a little bit lighter about uh, the front row in the morning and Nick and Chris, you know, more sportsy. Although, those two, are, to me, are as funny as it gets when they're in the middle of their, like, uh, as I call them, the Muppets up in the balcony, just analyzing everybody. So, no, I, I think all four shows are in a good spot. Hopefully, they stay that way and uh, everything continues going along nicely. So, yeah, as long as the boss is happy, I think the rest of us fall in the line.
1: Um, so let's talk about the podcast for a second. You have this new podcast. Welcome to Matt Lane. And I believe you have John Sherholtz on today. Is that correct?
0: Correct. That one dropped this morning. It's a pretty good, uh, I think, look at sort of how the Braves were built, uh, how he came to Atlanta when the rest of baseball sort of mocked him for doing it and uh, his relationship with Bobby Cox, a lot of good stuff from him.
1: So what made you want to do this podcast? What made you want to kind of branch out and do something else uh, outside of uh, the radio gig?
0: So a couple of things. I and mean, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. It's just two things. A, we can't do long form interviews on the radio anymore. There's just too many moving parts to try to spend more than seven minutes with somebody. And to me to do seven minutes of an interview is sort of pointless because you can't get anything beyond surface. So that, that was part of it. The other thing was I've never had the opportunity in the time between other obligations. And over the summer, I thought was the best time to start it. I'll be back with Fox in the fall. And I just wanted to be able to try to get something off the ground where I had a little more free time to do it. And it's gotten good response. And I think it's something that there's not something like it in our market, which I, I wanted to do. Just all local Atlanta, Georgia coaches, players, personalities. So I think it had a niche that was missing.
1: Who's your dream get, like the, the one that you really want that might also be the most difficult to get?
0: Well, Ted Turner's the top of the mountain. I mean, Ted Turner's story yeah. would be remarkable. I think his owning the Hawks and the Braves, I think TBS, uh, just being in Atlanta. Think about the stories that guy could tell if he wanted to. Now, Ted doesn't do much in the way of interviews anymore, but to share his you know, stories of, of trying to you know get the, the Braves off the Schneid when he owned him in the 70s, and then the blip in the 80s. Same thing with the Hawks, they never found their footing. The wrestling stuff with WCW, there's just a million roads you could go down with Ted.
1: Yeah, and you know it's interesting. He just popped up in the book that I'm reading. I don't know if you've read Molly Knight's book, um, The Best Team Money Can Buy on the Dodgers Resurgence. No, I've from... heard about it though, yeah. It's really good. I think you'd really like it. And there's a little bit of Ted Turner, Stan Caston nuggets where like Stan Caston's rise. And obviously he was like the kind of the behind the scenes architect. Cause you talked about John Sherholtz, but I'm sure he would speak to this too. Is like Caston was Ted Turner's, um, basically like consigliere and he has been mark walters consigliere in los angeles and um just how he built that team and he has a quote in there of like i just don't like paying guys money uh, professional athletes money and um how they went to two world series before they really started spending and signing greg manix and all this stuff but he actually advised ted turner when he elected because i think the braves had like the highest payroll in the nl um the year they finished last a couple years before 91 and then um, he told Ted Turner, "Look, I'm going to slash payroll from 16 million to 12 million, and you need to stop doing interviews because it's going to get bad for a couple years. But I promise, I know what I'm doing." And he actually advised Turner to avoid sports talk radio for several years. So maybe he is the the reason that uh, Ted Turner does not do as many interviews anymore. Well,
0: I think. Listen, I think Stan is another one that I'd love to get on because he's such a lightning rod. There's there's no denying, you know, the acumen, the business acumen Stan Tastan has. But he was the GM mm-hmm. of the Hawks. I don't think people remember this. In the in the eighties, he was actually the general manager of the Hawks and then they made some quality moves along the way. But I had yeah. Dominique on the podcast last week, and Neek's quote to me was Stan Caston either directly or indirectly made it known I will not have an athlete re- retire on my watch. And mm. he lived up to it by trading Neek near the you know back end of his career. So Stan is uh, again, bright hold, guy.
1: Stacy Ogman was it was that the Stacey Ogman trade? Is that who was in that? That was the no, the Dominique,
0: was the, no the, the Dominique to the Clippers trade.
1: Yeah, but who did they get back? I thought it was Stacey Augment. No, they, they, well, was, they, got, well they,
0: they ended up getting um, Danny Manning in that deal.
1: Danny Manning, that's right. And then he left the following year anyway. He
0: already had a deal in place with Phoenix the following year before the end of the oh, year. God. So they
1: Not they a great trade, folks.
0: <laughs> well, the Hawks had the number one record in the East at the time. They were the top seed, Traded Dominique in one of his better years. They didn't want to ride it out. They thought he was going to leave. They weren't going to re-sign him. Just, yeah. the, just the way they handled it was just, it was poor. And again, that's mm. you know, Stan again for having such great business acumen. I don't think he ever had great personal skills and yes. never really cared how he was received. And I think we saw that the night Dominique came back to get his number retired and the, the full house of fans booed Stan casting at the introduction.
1: I would love to get Stan Caston in a room, just talk to him about all kinds of stuff. Like, there's so oh, many sure. great Stan Caston nuggets in that book. Um, I just, I'm fascinated by that dude and just all the different people that he's just around. And I, I don't know, he's an interesting dude. Um, oh,
0: and think of it this way there's there's always three sides to everything, right? His side, yeah. the, the player or the coach or the manager side, and then there's probably some truth in the middle. I want to get all three of them. it may be fascinating.
1: Right. I think there's just so many different people that would have different perspectives on him from owners to GMs to players. Like, I just think there's probably not a consistent um, opinion of him as a uh, personnel guy. It's just, uh, well, that's, I don't know. That's
0: part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast is I, I think there are so many untold stories. And our market's kind of a weird one. We just sort of accept what's told to us through the years. And I found out so many different things from talking to Mark Rick about his, uh, the process of him being hired at Georgia and how the news leaked out and he thought it cost him the job. And you how know, many stories about, you know, Playing for Mike Fratello and, and wanting out of Utah to come here, and you know Dale Murphy was the one who pushed for the trade out of Atlanta. So, I, like I think there's a lot of hidden gems that we don't really know that these guys get very comfortable, especially post career, just kind of in that environment, sitting back and sharing.
1: Yeah. Um, pivoting back a little bit to to the show. Um, this is thing I the these are two questions that I'm not sure you'll answer, but I'm gonna ask them anyway. What is the hardest thing about working with Chuck in 2019? Say that at one more time. What is the hardest thing about working with Chuck in
0: 2019? Uh, he's spread a little bit more thin now that he's doing two shows. I just think any time I've done that, you know, I did a cable TV show while doing a midday show for years, and that's just tough on anybody. Mm. It's tough to, to, you know, have your focus taken in a couple of places. So, I mean, I don't think that's, you know, telling tales going. a school. I think mean, we're all in those positions when we're doing other things to make sure you keep your, you know, your focus on that that one task at hand so i don't know that that's tough but it's just more for him to juggle
1: yeah um can you give an honest answer as to what happened to the audio fun bag
0: the audio fun bag my honest answer is it was uh (laughs) taken out of our hands (laughs) i'll I'll let you fill in the blanks what do you think (laughs) happened to the audio fun bag i think uh, i think is one thing i don't think we've ever insulted our audience's intelligence I think everybody kinda of figures out what's going on uh and can read between the lines. So I'll ask you, Chase, what do you think happened
1: to the audio fun bag? Uh I have some thoughts, but maybe we can discuss them off off there. Um.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna tell you you're probably right.
1: Um I think Lowe's, could couldn't he just post it to his site though? Couldn't he just like go as like a third party, just have someone pull like all this different <laughs> stuff? Like he could just tell them what to pull and chop up and just do like a <laughs> A spinoff type thing where it's like it seems like it's coming from a fan, but it's actually just coming from y'all, and you're just giving them the audio.
0: You want it to be the audio fun box.
1: Yes, there you go.
0: All right, listen, I'm up. I'm open to all ideas. You know, we have one of those uh, comment cards where you can just fill it out, and leave it in the box, and we we'll all suggestions. So I'm I'm open to whatever.
1: Yeah. What is your favorite audio fun bag moment? Do you have one that, oh, just still, you'll go back to it and it'll crack you up?
0: This is like, that's like asking me which of my children I love the most wow um,
1: you can answer that too if you want there's so many
0: noises and uh, just, wow that's a great question um, I'm gonna have to think about it only because like I would if I ever did one of those like countdowns at year end we count down the 100 best songs of 1998 it would have to be like that I would have to really work my mm-hmm. way through it there's too many to choose from it's just so good
1: it would be something with Buck, and I'm trying to think of, <laughs> like, he's just no, unintentionally funny. And there's the Frosted just, Orange,
0: which is always great for Buck. Yeah, the Frosted Orange was a great one. Uh, there's a couple of the pranks we pulled on some co-workers. Uh, yeah, we've we've no. had a lot of those, yeah.
1: Oh, and then the Snake one with the, the just the reads where they think that they're interviewing Snake, where it's just the, mm-hmm, that, that still cracks me up.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's just too many good ones.
1: Yeah. Um, what has changed the most since you started Chuck and Turnoff? The way we do the show.
0: I just think the style of show we do. We don't do the. You know, I, I think we're more sort of in-depth, topic-driven. Um, like we, we bill build we bill our show as as like, we hope a very dumb, smart show that doesn't take ourselves too seriously, but has a good angle on everything going on. I don't think we. I don't think we try to do the surface stuff. But also, don't try to get so deep that it's you know lost on people. Like there's a, a real happy middle ground that there's just a comfort level of we just we, we know how to put together a show with the most hopefully potentially interesting topics. They're not all going to fly, but that most of the audience will relate to. But I, I think more than anything, we got to a point several years ago where we realized no matter what we talk about in sports, as interesting as it might be to us, people want to laugh, right? People want a good laugh on yeah. the drive home and around the. Importance of the sports topics. Hopefully, we get a little bit loud.
1: Going back a little bit, um, why did you get into sports radio to begin with? Because um, I believe you were like interning in college, right at state, and then it kind of just I was went correct. Back?
0: So, like, I'm one of those dorky people that I knew and I wanted to do it like eight years old.
1: I was seven I when have, I knew. Yeah, I'm right yeah, there with I just, you. I didn't
0: know about sports talk because it didn't exist theoretically. With in my mind but I just knew I wanted to do radio I always had a fascination for radio always loved it always loved the medium always loved the, the like there was just something about it I got clock radio when I was I don't know 7, 8 years old and you know I, I joke with my kids now between iPads and Nintendo Switches and flat screen TVs it would it would be laughable to think how enjoyable that clock radio was for me so that to me was always the draw Sports talk came to Atlanta in the early 90s, 93, which always drew my attention. I always loved sports. It was just a, it was one of those that it just hit home for me. It was, I was very fortunate with the timing. I was very lucky with getting some opportunities. And Like looking back, I don't know that I could do it again, knowing how little money I made and how small the chance was that I hit where I hit. So I think I got very fortunate.
1: How has 680 changed since you first started? Uh, you know what? I think
0: it's a lot lighter. I think it's a lot more personality driven. I think it's like everybody's sort of evolved as as things have gone along. Plus, the one thing I'll say is everybody on this station knows this market well, right? I'm not saying anything about any other shows at other stations, but I think there's something to knowing where you are, knowing what drives people and know sort of what stirs the drink and... and you know, a lot of us either been here for a very long time, or in my case, or Chuck's case, who are actually born here and have a sense for the local fans. So I, I think, yeah, I think people got very comfortable with that over the years. And somewhere along the way, stopped realizing we don't have to do national sports talk. You know, we don't have to hit every topic. You have to hit the three or four things that matter to people around here.
1: Yeah, and that's just that's it, advantageous, but it's also something that um, is just natural it's organic and they, it feels like you're not putting on a, a persona where it's like it, it's definitely a genuine thing that's um people who move here from other places like that's it's a disadvantage that they can't fix like that's something that they just no matter how hard you try it will come off as just trying to ingratiate yourself a little too much and that it's just not really who you are and um that's that's tough
0: well i think if you have to say we to force it or our to try to, and and that's why I said, I don't think we've ever been insulting to our audience. I think that's sort of insulting. Just be who you are. Also, just never
1: say be we in my team. Are you a we person? Do you say like uh, the Braves are my team? I I don't
0: think I have to though. I don't think, I I think I'm in a position where I don't have. I think people understand. I I joke. I am a fanalist. I've always said Mm -hmm. myself, I am a fan. I'm not a journalist, but I will also Mm -hmm. call things as I see them. I will always skew to be more positive because I think talk radio is just too negative in general, mm-hmm. but I've had no problem ever calling things as I see them calling teams out doing what I need to do, but I'm not going to do it just for no, no reason. I, I I just think sports talk, sports talk was ahead of Twitter and it's negativity years ago, just for the sake of being negative. And Atlanta to me is never, I don't think Atlanta's ever been that city that just thrives in the in the negative. We're not New York and we're not Boston where you can, you know, break down the bunt in the third inning and get mad at the manager four times a week, um, free in-game moves and just skew to negativity. I always feel like choke with chuck, there'll it'll be time to be negative when there's time. When it's when it's time, you'll know it. To me until then, I like to keep my stuff light and, and more positive anyway.
1: And it helps that all the teams are doing pretty well right now. Um I always think... think the show's better. Yeah. Yeah. Um when you first started with Chuck, did you think you'd be doing it as long as you have with him? Like the LB Uh, partners. I don't think anybody thinks 18, 19
0: years down the road in this
1: business. That's, I don't
0: think that's realistic to think that way. I think, I think you think you're doing the show right now. And I think you hope to be in the show doing the show tomorrow and next year. And I don't know that you ever, at least I didn't anyway. I don't think I ever kind of thought that far. I knew we had good chemistry and did a good show and, you know played off each other well but he, who who you know you never know how these things twist and turn
1: which show pairing is least likely to hang out outside of work consistently
0: um now without knowing the answer to that i think it rhymes with buckingham <laughs> <laughs> that's my guess again i can't i can't give you a definitive on that but that's that's my guess on this. <laughs> I don't think you'll see them at the cracker Barrel together.
1: No, I, uh, I think that's a, that's a good one. Um, I just want to see if you do it. Um, last thing on this, and we'll talk a little Atlanta sports real quick. Um, how much longer do you see yourself doing the show? Do you think, I know you just said you don't really think 18 to 19 years down the line, but do you, do you think at all about the future? I mean, you're doing the podcast now, you're still doing the show. Like, do you think far out and like what's next and where you see yourself in 20 years? I
0: mean, yes. And no, I mean, if you ask me what I'd like to be doing, radio is always going to be my first love. I'm always going to want to do this. I'd love to be doing it in my, in my hometown, in my city. Like Atlanta means a lot to me. It always has. Um, Like I, I want to be doing this when these teams win a championship to enjoy it with the people who are listening. So as long as that takes, I can't die until somebody wins a title around here and they can't kick me off the air until somebody wins and has a parade after that. It's up to somebody else, maybe.
1: Well, a lot of disrespect to Atlanta's true title team, Atlanta United, there, because you, you did see it, and they did do a parade. I did. And, and
0: I, I, listen, we had a blast with it. We had a great time, and not uh-huh. disrespect. It was an unbelievable, fun run. But the, the only issue with that, and, and I think any long Atlanta will tell you, when there is no struggle, right, and there is no, yeah. oh man, we didn't win that, or we couldn't win this, and it, it happened that quickly, it was great. It was fun. But if, if if anybody takes this the wrong way, they're looking to take it the wrong way. It will feel very different the day the Braves win another, or the Falcons win their first, or the same with the Hawks. It's not disrespectful. it's just the history that goes into it changes how you how you kind of receive. You got to be bad for right? a while
1: to make it mean something. You got to struggle. It's just the when penis. you win right out of the gate, and you yeah. I love that they're getting they get hurt for being competent right away. Like just, I, don't I don't know if it's hurt. I th- I don't yeah. think it's been hurt. They had seventy two
0: thousand yesterday. They. Yeah, you know, they had good T V ratings in the playoffs. The MLS Cup was an unbelievable event. I said I don't know that our city will ever have a better singular fun day or event. I don't know that it's getting heard. It's just I just think the struggle of the other teams is gonna make people appreciate that championship if and when it ever happens, just a little differently.
1: All right, well, let's quickly talk a little um, Atlanta teams. Um, surprise, are you at all surprised at the Braves beating their Pocota preseason ranking, which was 84 wins and a third-place finish in the NL East? Are you, are you surprised? Funny, that was
0: my, my number was 84 before the year. So I, I am a little surprised, and, and if you take a step back and just look at this like from 10,000 feet and realize the stuff that they've overcome this year, the lack of consistency in the starting rotation, the complete turnover of a bullpen, enough injuries from the closer to now the right fielder damsby being out as he was a few other injuries along the way the fact that they are 20 games over 19 games over 500 it's kind of remarkable i mean it it doesn't seem to add up and and i like the moves alex has made along the way dallas and now the bullpen which i know the world's going to freak out over shane green today i think shane green will be fine he was due to regress He was due to have some bad outings that's going to be normal so yes, I, I'm very surprised. If they get to 92 or 93 or 94 wins, like I'll say what I said last year. I think the the problem for the rest of the NL East is going to be obvious that they're probably only going to get better from here. They're going to figure out another starting pitcher via you know free agency or somebody else from the minor leagues and have more stability in that rotation. And at that point, you know you're you're on the doorstep of maybe two other outfielders coming up. Having Austin Riley, you know, at some point being a second or third year player to go along with Acuna, who might end up being the best player in baseball, Ozzy is a, a potential all-star. Like, They're put together for a long competitive run, and this year to me, if they overachieved at 93 or 94, that's frightening.
1: Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on this because it's interesting to see from different Braves fans from different perspectives on how they see their core. Because I think there's only like two core pieces right now in this main roster in, in terms of positional players where I think it's Acuna and Freeman. Everyone else should be tradable like everyone else. I'm not certain if someone that like is going to be a multi-time all-star is like a, a real core piece. Like Dansby, probably won't ever be an all-star Albies. Maybe it depends. Like, is he more of what he was mid last year? Is he someone that could eventually be at the top of your order at some point? Like, I, I don't know. Austin Riley, are we sure he'll figure it out? Um, there's a lot of questions. And then you're asking Christian Pache, or how do you say his last name? I've heard it like three different. Is it Pache? Yeah. Um, you're betting on a lot of guys to hit, and you need like some sort of balance. Like eventually, Alex has to start cashing in a little bit, kind of what the Red Sox did, where they have their young guys, they have their core Mookie Betts types. But you also go out and you trade some of that prospect capital for JD Martinez. You have to like do a little bit. Um, you trade Young Mikata for Chris Sale. You have to do a little bit of balance. And they did that a little bit by trading Colby Allard for Chris Martin and they're just going to... Ian Anderson's probably untouchable, but Kyle Wright and guys like that, they might get moved. But, like, the obsession with uh, prospect capital in Atlanta has always been kind of strange to me because you're betting on 19 different guys hitting, and it's just not really... Oh, but like, I, I don't know it's an obsession with... I, I, here's what I don't like. Here's what I, I think we've become... It's become very in vogue to do
0: the... I don't get the Atlanta obsession with prospect capital. People only bring that up when there aren't moves made at the time. In other words, like... Had the Marlins gotten their way in some ridiculous move, Alex would have said, yeah, I want JT Real Muto for either Albies or Acuna. You'd have people killing the GM for trading prospect capital for what technically was a known. And the way Atlanta built up JT Real Muto, I thought it was John Bench. JT Real Muto is a nice player. Nothing more, nothing less. Nice player. Acuna's got a chance to be generational. I'll disagree to some extent. I think Albie's would be a, a perennial all-star right on that sort of level. Mm. Um, and I'm all about the timing of this stuff. Like we, we live in this thing where we look at other teams and we go, Oh, they made all these moves. What was the timing? The Astros went out and made the Verlander trade three years into their process of being better. They missed the playoffs in year two. And then year three went out and did that case. I think when the time is right, you'll get those big, bold moves. I think you'll get the big, bold move for the pitcher or the big bat or those type of things. And I don't think you just trade to trade. Like, you, if you're going to trade something, your no, better No, absolutely not. No. You want years of control. And I don't think there was anything in this market this year that made sense. The Zachary King thing was interesting if it wasn't for the fact that he was 36 years old and made the kind of money he made. Outside of that, I don't think there was anything else out there that I would have said, oh, I'm going huge for at this deadline.
1: I think it's also interesting because a lot of these GMs just think that like their window, they would rather just contend for 10 years, kind of, and then instead of just two years of serious contention and i i don't know like the nl east could i mean just going into the season you had four teams that all had realistic shots of winning the division you know the nationals are gonna be top 10 in spending and they're not going anywhere they have the best one-two starting pitching combination in baseball they still have young talent like anthony rendon who are breaking through you have soto who's still just super young like the guy that no one's like the acuna jace essentially where no one just cares about this guy at all and the mets if they ever started just acting like a New York team where if they just kept Cindergard and you have in there and you have that rotation, yes, injury concerns are there, but that's, that's an insane group with McNeil and Alonzo. They could easily be a contender. They were in the world series just a couple of years ago. And then the Phillies, you know that their owner said they want to spend stupid money and they went out and they traded for real. Moto. So they signed Bryce Harper. Like, I think they're going to continue doing stuff. So, I don't know. Like it, you could make the case that the, the window is, is tighter than maybe the Alex Anthopoulos in this front office might think it is. Are, are you at all? I, I guess.
0: I, yeah. I, I view it the other way. I, I don't trust okay. the Phillies. I don't trust the Mets. I think trust is something you earn and mm-hmm. I don't trust Brady Van Wagenen. And I don't trust the Phillies front office the same way. Like the quote easy thing to do is go spend big, which ignores some of your other holes. And the Phillies are a prime example of that this year. They went so big with those big moves. Meanwhile, they neglected their, their starting pitching rotation. They thought they made one big move in the bullpen, and after one injury, they were decimated there. Plus, their manager is, is, is also a factor. The other thing with the Mets is I love their rotation. Don't get me wrong. I think Zach Wheeler is going to leave in the offseason because I think, I think guys realize I want to get away from some of the chaos that that, that organization is about. But they still should have a, a rotation good enough to compete. They need a catcher, a third baseman, a shortstop, a center fielder, and their two biggest deals. This is so Mets. This is what I mean, Chase. Big moves. Cano, The Cano move with Diaz was lauded in the offseason. Big, bold move. Disaster. They they signed uh, Cespedes a few years ago to a huge deal. Those are their two biggest deals. One guy doesn't play and might never play again, and the other guy is a shell of himself who just got hurt again. I think you got to be careful in 2019 baseball of – we're going big. We're going bold. I think you've got to be smart and bold, not just bold to try to win headlines.
1: I'm also just kind of thinking about the Dodgers because do you do you look at them through the prism in 2019 as like is this roster currently constructed in a way where they can actually compete in a seven game series against the Dodgers in the NLCS? Because this, this that's year it's are looking at
0: yeah, this year it's not there yet. I mean, I, now no. could you pull it upset? Certainly, everything's possible, but the Dodger pitching is just at a different they're level. Okay, just an
1: insane year from their starting rotation. Then you have right. M.V.P. and Bellinger. It's just Yeah, if there's a hole in the Dodgers it's in their bullpen and they didn't address that. So
0: it's one of those that in a short series can you try to work their starting pitching to throw a lot of pitches and they're forced to go to a pen. It would have to be something like that. It would also be something where they just didn't they didn't play a crisp series. It would have to be some scenario like that because their starting rotation is just so deep and so impressive. Um but there's also a window for them too. I mean Kershaw's not the youngest guy anymore.
1: Um, you know, like Ryu's not twenty-four. Um, not I mean, they won the division exactly seven at, years it, in a row and they've gone through the sure. World Series two years in a row. And that team but, is that core is still young. That like, yeah, there's, there's, there's enough there, but
0: again, that I think that core is in championship mode now. You're gonna look up in a year or two and you're really quickly out of championship mode. I think you're gonna see the Padres so. become the Oh I do. I think that They're I think the, the Padres I'm I they. I know they are. I think the Padres are going to be the team in that division in, in a year or two that all of a sudden, between their young talent, uh, their ability that they're going to have flexibility to spend, I think that's going to be the team to watch in that division. I think the Dodgers are good for another year or two, very good, but I, I think you're going to see a window start to close.
1: I think Depends there's a to real everybody. chance they challenge the, uh, the Braves for the 14 straight division titles. They're already halfway there. They're at seven. and I would, they I would never, ever take that
0: bet. They're not, they're not going to win. For, nobody wins 14 anymore. There's just too much stuff that's out of your control.
1: If Mark Walter and Guggenheim is controlling this team for seven more years, I think it's just Bellinger's 23. You have Seeger's 25, Enrique Hernandez, 27, Peterson, 27, Chris Taylor, 28. You look at a lot of their dudes. I just, they're too smart. And I think they just do a really nice job of balancing their high payroll with just smart decisions. And like Bueller. They they're a very struggling. different office. I would, I would never bet seven more years on somebody. That's too far. I mean, you path. would not, it would be, be a a tough thing but it's conceivable i guess is my thing it's like i wouldn't be like blown away if they just kept winning the division oh i um, would i'd be
0: i'd be stunned if somebody is able to pull off if they get to 10 or 11 i'd be stunned at this point i just there's too much too much you can go haywire with a with an injury or somebody other rising up it's just there's too much out of your control to, to think about 12
1: 14 divisions in baseball in a row um falcons real quick um are we sure defense that was 31st in defensive dboa last year is going to be better with dan quinn calling place this year
0: yeah it'll be better because he's calling it i mean that guy's an elite defensive coordinator plus you're going to get your pieces back so it should be better how good i have no idea can they get can they find enough pass rush is going to be the biggest thing Having dion if he's able to stay healthy and the two safeties will be a, a huge deal whether they can pressure quarterbacks is going to be anybody's best guess
1: enough how do you think the NFC South unfolds, though? Because uh, I was actually arguing about this with my roommates last night. Because um, I, I think the NFC North is a more competitive division, but it also just depends on how you look at the Bucks and the Panthers and the NFC South. Like, how do you how do you see the NFC South unfolding this year?
0: I, I think it's Falcons Saints and in whatever order that's going to end up in. I think Carolina's the third. I think the Bucks are going to be the fourth. I just I don't trust enough of Jameis Winston's decision making that they're going to be better than a seven win eight win team. Carolina is always a wild card to me. I don't know which way that's going to go, but I think the Falcons and Saints are just better than Carolina. So maybe the division's... I don't know, maybe it's so competitive that it's a 10-win, kind of a division instead of 11 or 12, but I think one of those two teams wins it.
1: Last thing, and then we'll go. Luca for Trey. This is something that I've been pounding for a year. Um, just, I'll never get over it. I think it's still just like the worst trade in Atlanta sports history. Can't get over it. I, I still just it bothers me to my core. I am I crazy for still being extremely adamant that the Hawks made a choice and that we're not going to get a generational guy. We're going to get someone who had the worst defensive real plus minus of any player in basketball last year who can't get that much bigger and better on defense. It's just physically impossible. And we're just going to be fun. We're going to score a lot of points. We're going to play at the fastest pace in basketball. But we also have a ceiling kind of like that 61 team where it's like no top five, top 10 type talent. And they're just going to be really competitive and really good for a 10-year stretch. Am I too Uh, cynical in my take there?
0: Yeah, you're you're being way too cynical. Trey, listen, Trey wasn't drafted for defense. Whatever he's going to be, if he can never get to mediocre level. I think there's a reason why Schlank sort of constructed the team the way he did with this draft two pieces that if, let's say, they'd never reach a ceiling, their floor with DeAndre Hunter and Cam we were going to help Trey, who is undersized, play defense. But, like, I'm a little surprised. You watched him last year
1: mm-hmm. in a, a
0: rookie day. year where and you saw him get better and better, and at his size, at the ability to get to the bucket, his floater yep. got so much better, his shooting yep. got so much better. He makes everybody mm-hmm. better around him. And I think for the first time... I would agree you're going to have people who want to come play with him. And that's always been a, an issue with, with the Hawks in Atlanta is getting a star player to come here. And everything I'm hearing from people around the league is there's an intrigue about playing with Trey young in this core in Atlanta, like there's never been before. So I, I think, I, I, I think Luke is fantastic. I do. Don't get me wrong. This isn't like, Oh God, Luke is not good. No, Luke is fantastic. I think for what the Hawks ended up getting with Trey and we'll see what Cam Reddish is. And, and we'll, before we, we decide how good or bad that trade was, what if Cam Reddish becomes a real factor? Cam is a legitimate starter in this league for seven to ten years, uh, and you get him and Trey. Uh-huh. What does that do to I'm trade, more please? in
1: on DeAndre Hunter than Reddish. I think Reddish is Jeff Green 2.0. I'm pretty low on um, Cam Reddish, but
0: I could but be wrong. The point is you don't know. As we sit here today, no, we can't, you, can't can't. Evaluate, you can't evaluate. you got two pieces to that puzzle. Trey put a run on throughout the second half of the year that was beyond impressive. Uh, I, I think Trey's only going to get better. Again, he's, Trey wasn't brought here for defense, and, and I know that seems to be the, the sticking point for some people. Problem, that's a problem. Yeah. It, it is, unless you have the right core around him. I mean, like, th- this notion that you can't win because Trey can't play great defense, I, I have a hard time believing. There's enough you can thing. do around him.
1: I don't know. I mean, like... <sighs> I just think there is a level where it's like, it's so bad. So the NBA playoffs is just like, I mean, I love the NBA more than anything in the world, but like, if you look at how teams just target certain situations over and over, it's like the Pats, what they do against teams where they just pinpoint your weakness. And then they're just going to do it 35 times. Like they targeted James white out of the backfield in that chargers game, like 17 times. And that's, what's going to happen with Trey, where they're going to make that turnstile turn. Like they are going to be like, okay, we're putting Trey young in the pick and roll. Over and over and over again. No matter how good of a defender DeAndre Hunter is, no matter how good of a rim protector they eventually find, like I, I just think that that is something that I'm not sure. Even with the reports of him adding 10 pounds, I don't, I don't know. I just don't see. I, it think, really you're I think you're
0: overrated. I think you're Yeah, I think you're overrating the level of it. Again, if you have a good defensive core around him to cover it up, again, he'll never be anything better than mediocre defensively. But if he's a guy who can score 20, 24 a night. He could be eight to 10 assists. If you think about his impact on every basket or near every basket offensively, and the fact that he, like, look what he did to Dwayne. Dwayne Dedman just bought himself a new lifestyle in Sacramento because of Trey Young. The fact that he can make Dwayne Dedman more than Dedman's serviceable. Good. Dedman's fine. Dedman was never anything more than fine. There's a reason San Antonio didn't oh, he's want He's good, man. I'm a
1: big Dedman guy. Loved him a lot. He like deserved a lot of the credit that John Collins was getting. I like John Collins offensive rebounding, but like the stuff, like the the hype with him, it's like he's okay, actually a pretty terrible defender. But yes, point is, he
0: made Dwayne Dedmon a, a like free agent to be that somebody wanted. Watch Dwayne Deadman this year in Sacramento and tell me if his offensive well, that's not look his fault. Anything?
1: They have like nineteen bigs in Sacramento. I'm not gonna I'm not okay. gonna give him any crap in Sacramento. That's not Dwayne uh, Deadman's fault. I, he got a three year uh, deal from Sacramento. You're missing the Keep point, checks, man. The Point. The point is that guy makes people better. Right, mm, Trey makes people better. Yeah. There's,
0: there's a factor to that that can that can take you far away. I have a big belief in, in Travis Schlank. I think Travis Schlank's a really bright guy. I think I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on this. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I think you're getting a little carried away with. Oh, just just they're not going to be able to compete in the playoffs. If Trey's offense is as good as I think it will be, it'll overcome the, the lack of defense.
1: I'll leave you with two things. Um, Luka Doncic is the second player since 1983 to reach 500, 150, 100, which is uh, points, rebounds, and assists by the 28th game of his career. Um, there's one other player who's done that since 1983, and that was LeBron James.
0: Oh, I love I love Luka, but I, see, to me, Luka, like I, he's not going to get much better from this point. And he's a really I good player now. I, I have a hard time believing. See, that, the thing on Luka I remember hearing about everybody talk about was. There's, he's going to come right in and be good because he's been playing pro ball and for he was years. and he was he was fantastic in his rookie year i want to see if there's another level he goes to and i, I don't know that he's going to go much beyond this which again if he's just this he's fantastic i just don't know if he's superstar
1: potential um okay last thing and i promise we're wrapping up kevin Gaussman. uh he is now a cincinnati writer i don't know if you got that i got the alert on i my saw phone. that yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um i don't think brave fans are gonna miss kevin Gaussman all that much no, I mean,
0: I was, I was a little worried about him starting in Minnesota against those big bats tomorrow, but now we get to the most fascinating part of the season because Fultys going to be such a, like things could hinge so much on what he is at this point. If he can be yeah. anything close to what he was last year. And I have my doubts. All of a sudden your rotation looks very different, much deeper. We know the ceiling on, on faulty based on what we saw last year. So I think tomorrow night becomes fascinating to watch him, um, Again, I, like, I don't think anybody's broken up over Kevin Gosselin at this point. They got some good starts out of him a year ago. It wasn't sustainable over the long term. I don't think anybody was shocked at that. But, so the Reds took a flyer on him. I guess they have nothing to lose from their perspective.
1: Matt, this has been great. I'm glad we were able to squeeze this in this week. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a really busy guy. And, um, yeah, I I appreciate it. We can listen to you Monday through Friday on Check and Turn Off from 3 to 7 at 680 The Fan. We can listen to your new podcast. Welcome to Matt Lana. That has a new episode today um, featuring John Schultz. Is there anything else you'd like to plug before we get out of here? (laughs) Uh,
0: no, I think we've plugged enough. I, that's more than enough, Chase. It's been fun, my friend.
1: Thank you. I'm glad your podcast is doing well. It was fun hanging out with you. All right, thanks, man. Good luck with everything, and talk to you soon. Bye, right, buddy. Be- All right, welcome back. The Chase wants Podcast. I am now joined by my Chili's comrade, Chris Brockman of the Rich Eisen Show. Chris, good afternoon. How are you?
2: Chase, what's happening, brother?
1: Oh, uh, you know, it's I'm on my last day of vacation from the mysterious day job, but um it's good weather, good uh it's fine. I didn't shower post workout, so I really, really stink. Like I smell Whoa. awful and it's been like three hours and got a haircut and a knife. Apologize Oh, and I'm just burping because I just had uh, Lacroix right before we started recording. So as I was talking, that's great. Just all professionalism on this podcast, Chris. Man, you got a lot
2: going. You got a lot going on. You're like the Antonio Brown of sports podcasts right now. You have a lot going on.
1: Um, have you been to Chili's recently?
2: I have not. You know, there's not um there's not many out here, so it's like. uh, they're tough to find, and, and you've got to be in the mood.
1: Do you? Are you never not in the mood for chilies? Would there ever be a time where you're like, I don't know, just not today. Not feeling it. Someone asked you, like, do you want to go to Chili's? You'd be like, I'm not in the mood. That's never been an answer to a Chili's question for you, Chris. Come on.
2: That's true. That's true. Just going out of my way, though, to, like, yeah. find a Chili's. Mm, they're not as prevalent in SoCal as you would expect, which is like a really disappointment. It may be the only negative for Southern California, if I'm being honest.
1: Can you imagine a town hall if you went to one like just nearby and everyone's just talking about um, stop signs and um, just potholes and you raise your hand and you're like, well, I have a different kind of complaint. I have to drive 45 minutes out of my way to go to the closest Chili's and... I need that to change. Whatever we have to do tax-wise to incentivize the Chili's Corporation uh, moving into the Southern California area, making it easier for me to access um, my uh, near and dear Chili's bar and grill, I I would like to do that.
2: (laughs) I mean, if I have to write my congressman, I guess I will.
1: I mean, I'll do it for you. I would very much love to write uh, a congressman about Chili's Bar and Grill. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> um, Another time, another time. Uh, So we're going to be talking about the AFC East. You are a Pats fan. And I am. the Pats, I think, are going to be good. But the AFC East is, um, I don't think, up for grabs. But I do think there are a couple interesting things going on in that division right now um, and it's not just the fact that the Dolphins already fired their offensive line coach a couple weeks into the the, the season before it even really kicked off um, let's start with the Pats if you, th- this might be a difficult question just because of you being a Pats fan and also just being realistic and being honest about the status of these four teams if you had to make the case against the Pats winning the division this year what would it be?
2: The case against the Pats uh, yeah. they don't have a premier wide receiver. Uh, There's question marks at the tight end position. Uh, Offensive line has always been kind of an issue for them. Uh, Defensive line as well. They linebackers are great. Their secondary is great. Um, Their running backs, great quarterback is great. Coaches great, but offensive line protecting Tom Brady, always been a question mark over the years, the last couple of years. Uh, He's taken a lot of hits early on in the season. Uh, I think, That's one of the reasons Tom himself said that he bulked up a little bit this year uh, to 225 pounds. Normally, he's in that 215 range. Uh, Put some weight on to kind of withstand some of the more hits that he's uh, been subject to over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, no real dynamic playmaker at the wide receiver position. Uh, Josh Gordon, don't know if he's coming back. He's applied for reinstatement. Uh, We saw what Julian Edelman did in the Super Bowl, obviously. Super Bowl MVP, but he's dealing with a thumb and he's getting up there in age. Uh and so, you know, which is why they had to draft Nikhil Harry. Um Chris Hogan's gone, but he had a disappointing year last year after a good 2017. I think that's the case uh against New England. Uh it really all hinges on number 12, a 42-year-old quarterback who just got an 8 million dollar raise uh for 2019. If uh if he goes down or really falls off the cliff like Max Kellerman has been predicting for the last 10 years, then um, the Pats are going to be in trouble, and I think uh, that's really the case against them.
1: I mean, it's going to happen at some point. Like, it just has to. We're waiting for Rivers, the bottom to fall out. Or we're waiting for Brady. I mean, it happened with Peyton, but part of that was injuries. Like it is interesting that he's bulking up and planning to absorb more hits, which seems counterintuitive to what he should be doing right now, which is that like that he shouldn't be preparing for more hits. Like that you should be like, Hey, can we hit you less? So let's make you more mobile and you can dance around if it comes to that, because we'd rather you not get hit. It's interesting that he's bulking up to take more hits.
2: Yeah. But I think that's just, just a precaution. Like, I mean, in, in yeah, I mean, you're not oh, – you don't want to plan to get hit more. That's never like a goal, but I think I think he sees what the line is like and while he's been hit around the last couple of years. And so he's just just getting ready for it. Look, it's not like he's Kyler Murray or Cam Newton. He's not – you know, Lamar Jackson, he's not running around – the backfield he doesn't make plays with his legs so i think for tom to have a few extra pounds i don't think it's a big deal at all
1: it's probably not a big deal i just it's tom and his workout and mr guerrero's off-season plan i i hope he's getting enough water that's the biggest thing um well
2: electrolytes man Mm -hmm. electrolytes pliability yoga avocado ice cream no strawberries no tomatoes that's what we got to do baby
1: no strawberries. I mean I'm very pro no tomato, because tomatoes are the the most just disgusting fruit slash vegetable, depending on who you ask. Like there is nothing more disgusting than biting it in into a tomato.
2: Well you're not eating a tomato like an apple.
1: Right, but like tomatoes are just gross. They're go- they're gushy, they're just Ugh. Hate tomatoes.
2: Really? You don't like take like you don't like a tomato on like a club sandwich?
1: No. I just go lettuce, mustard, turkey, and cheese. Mustard with turkey, huh? Oh, dude, I would put mustard on anything—like honey mustard, spicy mustard, regular mustard. Like, I wish I could just have mustard in every item of my food choices every day of my life. I love mustard.
2: Wow, I'm a big mustard. Mustard hot dogs, mustard hamburgers. Mm-hmm. That—that's it.
1: Okay. I mean, hamburgers and hot dogs. That's it. Turkey
2: sandwich is a, is a light mayo spread.
1: Ugh, mayo and is then, disgusting. Oh. And then
2: I'm and then I'm down with barbecue sauce on anything if that's what I'm in the mood for.
1: Barbecue sauce is just it, it, I like it. It's just heavy.
2: It's Must heavy. I, I see. I don't like I don't like ketchup. So I I'm, I'm yeah. a barbecue sauce with French fries
1: guy. Yeah, I had fried okra last night. It fried okra. Not exactly the tastiest thing. I don't really know what I'm eating. It's one of those things where, like, it's it's kind of like air. Just you're you're biting into pockets of air, and you're just like, "How is this healthy?" I don't know what this is, but this this is fine. <laughs> it's like a healthy tater tot.
2: <laughs> nice, nice. I like that. That's a good fantasy team name. Um, wait. <laughs> so you said to me today that you're thinking about making the case for who now? The Jets or Bill? Well,
1: we were getting there. Uh, we were getting there. It's on my. Okay. It's on my list. Okay. We're, the Jets, and the Bills right. were the. I mean, we don't really need the Dolphins. We're not making the case for because that team is just going to be the worst team in football this year. Um, no, they're we'll going to
2: start Ryan Fitzpatrick. Like, what are they doing?
1: I mean, if they start Ryan Fitzpatrick, it's more of an indictment on who Josh Rosen actually is. Because if he's not beating Thanks. out Ryan Fitzpatrick, I, this I summer,
2: love I love Josh Rosen. So I really like him to to get his stuff together.
1: This might be it. And he might be one of those guys who just bounces around the league as a backup, like Chad Henney. He might go full Chad Henney in a year or two.
2: Oh man. You never want to go full Chad Henney.
1: (laughs) No. I mean, there are worse things. He's still in the league, right? Keep getting them checks. Chad Henney is pushing at a a 15 year career, sir. Is he still in the league? Yes. He's a backup right now. Oh, do you know what team he's on? Do you know what team he's on? He was in the Jaguars last, I think. Right, who's he on? The Chiefs now. He is the backup quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs.
2: Correct. He is the Chiefs' backup quarterback. Unbelievable.
1: And he is thirty-four years old. So that's a he's a this is year thirteen for him.
2: Good for that guy.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Him, Chase Daniel, those guys—they good living for them. Um, but we'll get to the Jets and the Bills because I think they are interesting, and that I want to save that for in a, in a second. Are you at all worried about the tight end depth for the Pats? Do you, are you concerned about the, the transition to wide receivers and banking on the Pats hitting the Nikhil Harry pick because, obviously, um, the Pats have not had the most success drafting wide receivers over the years. Um, are you concerned at all that they're going to be without any proven names? I mean, uh, uh, what is his name? Hollister? Jacob Hollister and Ben Watson and friends? Like, uh, sure, maybe, but... Um, are you at all concerned them going away from the tight end sets and just focusing on the receivers and James White, who's basically a receiver anyway?
2: Yeah, it's it's like you look at the depth chart right now for the path to tight end. It's Ben Watson who's going to be suspended for the first four weeks, Matt LaCosse, Steven Anderson, Lance Kendricks, who they just signed, Lance Kendricks. Ryan Izzo, and Andrew Beck, and you're like, what? It's tough to go from having the premier player top two tight end of all time on your roster and just, you know, penciling that guy in for 60 to 70 catches, thousand yards, a dozen touchdowns, and then not thinking about it, you know, and also Gronk is so underrated as a run blocker. And if you look at the, you know, the reason why the Pats won the Super Bowl last year was their ability to run the ball in the playoffs, Tony Michelle and the last few years um, with whoever they threw there in the backfield. And, yeah, and you look at what they've got going on this year. Ooh, Benjamin Watson, great player for a long time, but he's a, he's an old guy, you know. And you were hoping maybe they could have got one of those premier tight ends in the draft. But, yeah, it's a position that you're kind of scratching your head at, like, hmm, why didn't they go after maybe someone else or, you know, maybe go for Jimmy Graham or make a trade or whatnot, So that's that's kind of a head-scratcher. You're kind of wondering where that – because you're used to getting a certain amount of production from that position, and you're wondering if that's – you know, you can duplicate that this year. But So, yeah, a lot of pressure on Nikhil Harry, a lot of pressure on some of these guys like Maurice Harris. Like, can Demarius Thomas give the Pats anything, or is he going to be another one of those Ed Reed – Ed Reed, excuse me – um, a Reggie Wayne training camp signees where he comes in or, you know, Eric Decker, where you think, okay, this guy you'd think would do well in the Patriots system and they don't make it out of training camp. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of question marks like Dontrell Inman, Braxton Berrios, like a Jacoby Myers is getting a lot of uh, training camp run right now. A lot of headlines that he's having some, you know, doing well with Brady, a good rapport there. I don't know, man. On paper, man, the Patriots really shouldn't be good. But do you have any doubt that they're gonna win twelve games this year?
1: Twelve? Um I could see eleven and five or ten and six. I think there's a possibility. It depends on how the rest of the AFC shakes out, but um and how good the Jets and the Bills are. But um I like Dontrell Emman a lot, but I do I do think it's funny that so Demarius Thomas, if you had to guess a combined number of games played in a pats uniform between demarius thomas cameron meredith and reggie wayne is it over under one
2: <laughs> yeah that's what i mean it's it's on it's under all these guys like yeah there i just you know i, I you know
1: reggie wayne Danny of now a receiver though i am all about this that's gonna be insane is that is that a stuff. thing
2: do you think it's just gonna he's gonna be like a tason hill where it's just like he they i can't imagine tom brady Dude, lining up play. wide and in the wildcat
1: i i mean nothing would surprise me at this point um it i think he will be used danny Etling will be used in some capacity like Taysom mill i think
2: okay, okay okay i mean didn't you think that though when they signed tim tebow
1: i mean didn't they want to ago? do that isn't that what they wanted
2: i don't I don't know. I I mean, I think Tebow just kind of like refused to play another position and Bill with
1: right. Man, that would have been interesting. What if he had just changed to tight end and like had this great career alongside Rob Gronkowski in the passing game? Oh,
2: like a, oh, like fullback and he could just kind of bounce around and then they could have run some trick plays. They could have ran the jump pass with him or something like they could have run their own little silly special. I don't know. Tim Tebow is one of the great. What if?
1: Yeah. He's, he went first round. I, I still we, we we can't forget folks that Tim Tebow went in the first round. And uh, I mean
2: not only did he go in the first round, he won a playoff game in the first ever overtime walk off new rule touchdown. That was the craziest season of all time.
1: It was an awful season because I do not miss those sports conversations that we had following the Tebow stuff, and Skip Bayless obviously did not help. But like that was a terrible time for sports dialogue of he just wins games and you just you had nightmares about people talking about Tim Tebow and that team and just um, it, if you didn't like Tebow and the NFL didn't want Tebow to succeed because Tebow was this and it was awful. I do not miss any of the Tim Tebow stuff at all. And that whole season was dumb. And the Tebow stuff was awful. It made the sports dialogue <laughs> awful.
2: Oh, no, we definitely probably all got dumber. We cost ourselves yeah. years on our life because of it. I mean, yeah, it was great. Though. Oh, well, he can't practice. Uh, he doesn't look well on tape, but he just wins games, and I want winners.
1: God. Nine for 16, 43 yards, and like a negative 30 billion quarterback rating. Um, dumb times, but game. thankfully we are not <laughs> in that time period. Um Let's talk about the Finns. Is there any way the Miami Dolphins are not the worst team in football this year? Like, it, that offensive line is just, it mirrors the Cardinals' offensive line of last year, which is not good for Josh Rosen. I mean, they lost a lot of talent. They're still just, i I just don't know how you can make the case this team is not the worst team in this division by far, the bare minimum.
2: A worst team in the division for sure. Uh, they're going to be probably the second. They'll be the worst of the second worst team in the AFC. I got to imagine Cincinnati's going to be pretty bad. Uh, when you look at the entire national football league, uh, the giants will probably be pretty bad. And then after that, I, I really don't know. Those are probably the three worst teams in the league, right? Giants. Oh, the Redskins will be pretty
1: bad. Giants. I don't think the Redskins Red can game. be bad. They have too much talent. You don't? Really? Red- Why? Worst case scenario for the Redskins is like 6-10. and 10. I think that's worst case. I think they're going to be like 8-8, eight, 7-9. Eight, really? Yeah.
2: Oh, man, you are giving them far too much. They're going to start a rookie quarterback. And so Maybe. rookie quarterbacks don't exactly light the world on fire. I think you have a defensive line I You have faith in Case Keenum, even if he's the starter?
1: I think not, you got to look at it as big as, like, what do you mean with faith? Do I think he's good enough to win them six games? Yes.
2: Oh, interesting.
1: I mean, if they, if really? Smith was healthy, there's no way this team loses less than like seven games.
2: How can they beat, they're not going to beat the Eagles or the Cowboys, they're only going to beat the Giants. They're going to
1: beat one of those teams, absolutely. They're going to have a dumb win because they do that. The Redskins, like... What was there? They had a lot of dumb wins last year. Like, they're not great. Like, they're not world beaters, but they're just too talented not to. And I like the O'Connor bump where... O'Connell, excuse me. Former Pat QB legend uh, O'Connell. Yeah.
2: Early 2000s. Kevin Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell.
1: He's their new OC. He's um, another, like, wonder kid. At at least he's not from the Shomnic Bay lane, which is a nice breath of fresh air, I think. But... Um... I don't know. I think I like Dwayne Haskins a lot. I think a lot of it depends on what happens with Trent Williams. If he's holds out, then that's a huge problem. Um, they're super thin at wide receiver. I still like Josh Dotson, but the running back group, um, with Chris Thompson and Darius Geis before he got injured last year, looked like a potential next, like Alvin Kamara type. So if he's healthy, I like that their defensive line is just Alabama guys. And that's always a good recipe. I think, um, like their secondary. I mean, they got Landon Collins from New York. I think that defense is True. still going to be good. They still have Jim Tom Sula. Um, Greg Mineski. I like that just kind of kind of group. I, I just I don't know. I, I like a lot of their guys. I like Ryan Kerrigan. I like Landon Collins. I like Josh Norman. I I, I don't know. I just I look at all their dudes yeah. and I'm just like, they just can't be bad. There's just too much talent for them to actually be a bad football team.
2: Man, here's a game nobody's circling on the calendar. Week six, Redskins at Dolphins.
1: <laughs> that is, that's not good. But the Redskins are going to win that game. Let me go. Do know. the Dolphins at, have a chance at Miami, of going
2: 0-16? No, no, no. Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to probably lead them to a 3-1 start.
1: Their schedule. So they open up with the Ravens at home. That's a loss um let's yeah,
2: i don't think be, the ravens are going to be that good
1: Think, they, but they're another team can't be bad that team has too much talent to be bad
2: weird things happen in
1: the nfl man death taxes and the dc area teams not being that bad those are things you can count on.
2: <laughs> yeah right yeah the dolphins do have an interesting R- Ravens, patriots cowboys chargers that's the one oh. for
1: redskins that's oh and five at buffalo that's a toss-up i think that early in the season where it's not super cold yet so maybe but i'll go Owen and six at pittsburgh oh and seven jets at home that might be one of their one at indy buffalo at home at cleveland philly at home at new york at new york Bengals at home at pats yeah they're going like 1 and 15 2 and 14 max 2 and 14 is best case scenario
2: well, I mean, they're trying to tank for two of us, so, I mean, they got the schedule lined up to do it. God, yeah, that, that smells like three and 13, right?
1: Damn. That is... Ugh. Don't That's like rough. it. That's rough. That's rough.
2: All right, we're done talking about the Dolphins. Let's move do <laughs>
1: Hey, they're making strides, though, with their, uh, their uniform, so at least they'll look good being bad. Um, the Bills and the Jets. These are the two teams I think we both are fascinated by, and you're fascinated by my uh, interest in both of these teams. Um, one of these teams just feels like they're gonna sneak into 10 and 6. I don't know which one. A lot of people are talking themselves into the Jets. I think I might trust the Bills defense more, but I do have real concerns about Josh Allen. But I do like that they brought in Cole Beasley. I like that um John Brown is gonna be a good deep threat for them because Josh Allen, like he's just gonna throw the ball up 40 yards downfield, and John Brown's just a speedster, so he might be able to bring some of those in. Um, I like what they did at tight end to get a little bit better there. I still have some real questions about their offensive line. They got the dude from Kansas City. Cordy Glenn wasn't uh, – he got moved to Cincinnati, and I just – I was kind of like Cordy Glenn. But um, that offensive line, it, it was not good last year. And a lot of what was great about this Bills team was their defense was great, so they are winning games like 9-6. to six. Josh Allen was struggling mightily, but they right, were right, winning right, games right, they right. shouldn't have. Like the Titans, that awful game. Like they just – I – can they do that back to back gears? I don't know. Does Josh Allen have another level? Um but then you have Sam Darnold with Adam Gase in this group and Greg Williams who is I think an upgrade at DC. Um even though there is a lot of weird stuff going on with Williams and Gase and like did they want each other and like Gase not wanting like Williams son being involved like all kinds of weird coaching stuff there, but um there're no fly zone in the secondary. I like the fact that the Jets still have May and Um, Adams and that group so it seems like with Greg Williams style they'll be good there but is Quentin Williams enough to get them a pass rush because the pass rush has just been terrible for them for years the Bills found gold and Jerry Hughes and I I go back and forth but Le'Veon and Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson and those guys like who knows I I just uh, what do you think who has a better chance at going 10 and 6
2: yeah I think on paper you'd probably say the Jets just because new coach, offensive minded. You saw what he did with Peyton Manning. Um, he was trying to do some things in Miami, just didn't work out, got a little unlucky that Ryan Tannehill couldn't stay healthy, right? And then they got Le'Veon Bell, which is like a huge kind of X-factor question mark heading into the year. Um, you look at his workout videos, he looks great. He's super jacked. Uh, he's moving around well. You know, he looks like the Le'Veon Bell of old, but if you don't play football for an entire year and then you try to come back, your body, that's a huge adjustment of getting back to playing football and getting used to being hit. The movements are different than just working out on your own in the gym or playing basketball at LA Fitness or hanging out in Miami, which we knew Le'Veon Bell has been doing for the last year. So when you look at that, you're like, man, I don't know about the Jets. But then you look at Sam Darnold, And this guy looks, you know, central casting quarterback of a Hollywood movie. Like, this guy looks like a quarterback. He's got a monster arm. He's a proven winner at USC. And, uh, you know, his first ever pass last year was a pick six, which is the most hilarious thing to me ever as a Patriots fan. But he had some flashes last year. You know, he's going to be a good player. And he's with a coach who is a, you know, quarterback quarterback guru, so to speak, right? So I would say on paper, the Jets probably are more, more likely to go 10 and 6, but there's also a lot of hype with the Jets. And if you're a team that doesn't really know how to win and has never won before, like the Cleveland Browns, you can have all the talent in the world, but you got to go out there and do it. You can talk about it all you want. But in the NFL, talk is cheap, man. And the NFL stands for not for long. So you got to go out there and be about it. And so I want to see how the Jets do. The first. They play the Patriots twice in the first seven weeks. That is huge, man. That is huge. If you're a Jets fan, I'm sure you'd wish you had one of those games later in the year so maybe your team has come together and there's a little more stakes to that game. Because if you come out and you get blasted twice by the past in the first seven weeks, man, that's going to be disheartening. Yeah. So we'll see how they look there. But Buffalo, look you got a defensive coach, but the NFL is all about offense, man. So I want to see how Josh Allen looks in year two. We know he's got a giant arm, uh, but who knew this guy could run around like he can? Uh, for me, massive question mark for the running back position. Does LaShawn McCoy well, really have you Are you not wa-
1: convinced that uh, Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy, who have a combined age of 140, um, can That's be the Del That's what I'm telling
2: like they should have just cut LaShawn McCoy and be done with it, you know, and then why sign Frank Gore? I don't understand that. So they got a rookie, Devin Singletary. I would imagine him to get massively involved in the rotation. TJ Eldon proven that he can catch the ball out of the backfield. So I imagine he's going to be a third down back, kind of like he, how he was for Jacksonville. So, you know, we'll see what goes on there. But, you know, like you said, they signed, they signed John Brown. Uh, zay jones had some flashes last year Cole beasley we kind of know what he can do he's kind of a poor man edelman so uh they do have some players who can make plays it's really all on josh allen and how much uh he's gonna show that development from year one to year two
1: i love tyler croft he's on pup right now but when he's healthy and he's played like four games total in his tenure in uh cincinnati but when he was in the field, like he, like I think when Andy Dalton was targeting, uh, Croft, he had like hundred and thirty something passer rating. Like he's one of those yeah. dudes who I actually could see as like a sleeper, like Josh Allen favorite. And then you have Knox Dawson, a third round, uh, or Dawson Knox, excuse me, third round pick. Um, I think they're going to go a lot more tight and heavy, giving him easier two yard out throws that hopefully he can hit a couple of, <laughs> and then just throwing up the deep ball to um, John Brown. But I think it's going to be a lot of Beasley and a lot of Tyler Croft, which um you never know but i think a lot of it's going to come down to what does Deion dawkins look like at left tackle what does mitch morse they're signing from um kansas city look like at center and then cody ford at right tackle a second round pick so if the offensive line is a little bit better um josh allen's able to hit those short intermediate routes to those tight ends and colt beasley maybe they can do something but running the football i think it's going to be a, a real problem um uh, because those Those running backs playing behind a potentially bad offensive line, I I don't think that goes well. Then you're like Ed Oliver, Jerry Hughes, Trent Murphy. I I like a lot of their dudes. Matt Milano is like a really good weak side linebacker that um, PFF loves. And then I like their secondary a lot. Poyer was good. Tredavious White's awesome. You just kind of go up and down the list. Kevin Johnson was good for them. Levi Wallace, that Alabama dude, he played really well for them down the stretch last year. Um, I don't know. I think this defense will be good. Um, I trust it more than the Jets, but I think a lot of it comes down to who do you believe in more, Darnold or Allen? Who would you rather have for the next five years? Who do you think is going to be better five years from now?
2: Oh, I think there's no doubt about it that it's Sam Darnold. I think the biggest mistake the Giants made uh, in the last few years—well, there were two. Ben McAdoo was right. Eli Manning had nothing left, and he was right uh, to bench him. Uh, The only problem was his alternative was Geno Smith. So that, that, was the, that was the great decision, immediately followed by a poor decision. And I think, I don't care how great Taquan Barkley is going to be, um, passing on Sam Darnold was the stupidest thing the Giants have done in the last decade. So dumb. Anytime you have a chance to, to draft a franchise quarterback and one that every single person heading into the draft said was the number one quarterback in that draft, uh, you have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it, and even if he sat all of last year, great, doesn't matter. You had to draft, you had to draft uh, Sam Darnold. hey, um, well, anyway, look, Saquon Barkley is a great player, uh, but running backs in the NFL have proven to have a very small shelf life, very very small. And the fact and the fact that they're going to run this guy into the ground, I mean, he he could get he could get 400 touches this year, uh, and probably will for the next couple of years, and then he might be completely out of gas. He might be completely shot. I don't know, maybe. He doesn't look like it. He looks like he could be a ten year back. We but all think that until could've... it's
1: gone. Like Todd Gurley now has arthritis in his knees and he'll probably never be the same. Two years ago, to
2: Todd Todd Gurley was on his way to being a Hall of Famer. And now next year Todd Gurley might be washed. Like but Sam Darnold is gonna play in the National Football League for fifteen years or more. And the Giants had a chance to go from Bill Sims to Eli Manning to Sam Darnold, like three quarterbacks in the last 40 years. And it would have been an iconic move. And he would have been the absolute toast of New York. He would have been on the back pages every single day wearing blue and white. And now he's wearing green and white. And he'll be the reason the Jets turn it around. And the Giants are now a stock of the National Football League. So... <laughs> I, I think it's a no-brainer. I, I would take Sam Darnold. He's he's going to be a great, great player for a long time.
1: I would agree. Um, there was an interesting nugget from Gase a couple of months ago that I wanted to pull out that I hadn't even really considered when teams are thinking about team building. And like because there's so much of a obsession now with the pass rush and finding a, a good pass rush where, like, this was before they drafted Quentin Williams and everything. But um, he talked about, like, it's it's hard to even consider which kind of – Edge rusher to draft because this division has so many different types of quarterbacks and that Josh Allen is a very different kind of guy to take down than Tom Brady. Like they can not be more different. Um, and what you need right. to bring somebody like that down. So you have to think about, okay, do we need one guy who can go after someone who's like Cam Newton size, who's just a, a pain in the ass to bring down. Like players have talked about that for years, like Cam Newton being like the toughest person to tackle in the NFL. And Josh Allen has that same kind of frame and Carson Wentz, I think to an extent, but he just gets hurt from all of it. So it's a little bit different, but um, Brady is the exact opposite. He's like the easiest guy to bring down. Um, So he said, you play Buffalo, Josh Allen is a tough guy to bring down. You have to rush the passer a certain way. So really it's about getting the right pass rusher or getting the right group of pass rushers. I don't know if it's really, Hey, one guy fixes this at this spot. One guy fixes this. It's just about making sure that we build the model, the right way of saying, this is how we can win the division. I mean, that's the key to everything, right? You win the division, what do you get? What do you get in? You get in the playoffs. So that's what you want to try to do. You have to make sure you build a team to win the division. So he kind of spirals a little bit at the end of that quote. But like, I do think it's interesting if Belichick had said that, like, you could have taken Gase's name off. And I think that would have been like a Belichickian quote of like, you don't just need one. You can't just have an Ed Oliver or a Khalil Mack and that solves all your problems. You need like, a system that works in a multitude of schemes and guys that you can throw at different types of quarterbacks. Cause this league just has a lot of variety now and most teams have a good one and they're just different in the way that you have to attack cause Brady gets the ball out so quick. It's just different.
2: Yeah. And that's why bill talks about, you know, and every Patriots player talks about it. They don't, they don't game plan season to season. They don't build the roster season to season they build their roster and change their game plan week to week. And so they're able to change on the fly quarter to quarter, and they're able to adjust better than any team ever. And that's why they've been able to sustain this level of success. It's, it's really uncanny. We've never seen anything like it. We'll probably never see anything like it again. And it's just, uh, it just shows why Bill's the greatest coach of all time.
1: Yeah. It, um, it's, it's interesting. Well, let's wrap up with your predictions for actually how the division goes. Like, what are your one through four?
2: Uh, I would say the Pats probably go, like you said, like 11 and 5, 12 and 4, something like that, kind of what they always do. Uh, they're going to win the division. Um, I would suspect the Jets probably are in that 9 and 7, 10 and 6 range. Maybe if they can get a late win and maybe sneak into one of the wild cards, I wouldn't be surprised. Bills probably go seven and nine, and I'm going to say three and thirteen for the Dolphins. I don't know if the math adds up on that, but that would be my uh, that would be my prediction.
1: I, I think right now, gun to my head, it's still Pats, and then I got. I really do think the Bills. You going, going Buffalo or are you going New York? What yeah, do you got? Are you are you, buy, are you buying into the? You're going Buffalo, okay. Because of going Josh Buffalo. Allen. I don't like I still really like that defense and defense is a harder yeah. thing to keep going year after year. But I still like a lot of those pieces. I think the offensive line will be better. I think the receivers will be better. I think the tight ends will if they can stay healthy. If Croft can stay healthy in that third rounder is pretty solid, I think they'll be okay. Um and I just think they'll be in a lot of games where like if they win a couple three points or less games where they're like three and one in tight games, they're they're gonna be okay. But I I don't know the Jets. I just have to see it. Like there's just so much weird stuff with the Le'Veon Darnold, Gase, the new Joe Douglas running the everything. Greg Williams running the deep. There's just so many variables that I mean I could see it. I just I don't know. I think that pass rush is still going to be a problem. I still think that offensive line might not be great. I don't believe in their weapons as much. But if Le'Veon Bell is just in great shape and immediately the guy he was a year and a half ago, I I could see it. But um, I don't think any of these teams outside of the Pats make the playoffs, though, because the AFC, man, okay. I think the AFC West is getting a, is getting two teams, and I think the AFC uh, North is getting two teams.
2: Oh, the North is getting two teams. So who do you think wins that division, Pittsburgh or Baltimore?
1: I think Pittsburgh wins, think and I think Cleveland gets a wild card.
2: Cleveland gets a wild card? Okay. Okay. I could see that. And then the South, uh, what about the South? Is, they get Andrew the South. Luck, man, there's
1: something up with him. I mean, he was, he's back. I mean, he has the hamstring stuff. He,
2: he's back, but he's got a calf that, like, he or hasn't practiced. Or is it the calf, in,
1: yeah. It's the calf.
2: He hasn't practiced in two weeks.
1: I'm not worried about the calf. I was more worried about him not being able to throw a normal-sized football last year. That was oh, more me, concerning me to too. me.
2: <laughs> me too. Remember when it was, it was a big deal that he was throwing a high school-sized football? <laughs> yes.
1: It was getting to the point where we're like, are we sure he's playing football again? Like, how much longer do we have to go before it's like, oh, maybe his shoulder just doesn't work anymore and he needs to do something else?
2: That was crazy. Okay, I have one last AFC East question. We were talking Mm. about this today. Um, You're in your fantasy. You have like a middle to late round pick, and Le'Veon Bell is there. Do you take him?
1: In what round? First round. Uh, And it's middle to late first round?
2: Yeah, late late first round, and Le'Veon Bell is available.
1: Yes. Yes. Cause okay. the running backs yeah, is actually you, kind I mean, of like, I would not touch a with bit. a just 10 foot pole girly staying away. A lot of like the main names, Kamara probably my number one pick if I was, yeah. um, if I had number one overall, Melvin Gordon scares me, who knows what happens with the trade stuff there. Um, so if you just go through the, a lot of the running backs that we've just known have been great and guys you can rely on. There's only a couple now that you're just like, Oh yeah, I would draft him and be comfortable with it at five. Saquon, I guess it's there now too. Zeke um, is, but there's this like the holdout stuff and all kinds of other weird stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. Le'Veon. Hmm. Yeah. I would, if it was like eight, seven, I'd probably do it.
2: Yeah. I have, uh, I have Alvin Kamara. He's one of my keepers. And then Todd Gurley is my other keeper, but I'm like, so scared about what he's going to look like this year.
1: Yeah. I I don't think it's gonna be good. Um Geiss is like my sleeper though. If it's like Geis and Tevin Coleman in uh San Francisco.
2: Oh, I like that. Interesting. I've been reading just someone... I've been reading a lot about Matt Barita has been yeah. just someone the forty ers love.
1: He was great last year. He was averaging seven yards a carry. He finished the season averaging like seven yards a carry. That's
2: crazy, man.
1: Kyle Shanahan and his own scheme and everything like he just he, he he just knows how to get these guys get a lot out of these guys and I just think Coleman's more talented and he's just there's all the makings of a breakout type like Michael Turner in Atlanta years ago where it's like he finally gets his own team oh yeah. scheme and he just breaks out
2: yeah I'm totally with you on that oh well, it'll be interesting to see I'm curious as to what the the Jets are going to look like because there's a lot of hype right now it's kind of like them in Cleveland or the you know, the most talked about teams that uh, haven't proved anything in 20 years.
1: Yeah. It's, that's why, I mean, I just, there's all kinds of us against the world stuff with the the Steelers and just like the post Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell bump, <coughs> where it's just calm and they still have a great offensive line. Ben's still there. Deontay Johnson is basically like mini um, Antonio Brown. And then you have defense with Devin White now, who replaces the Ryan Chazier gap that really hurt that team last year. I mean, there's all kinds of things um, that point me in the direction of the Steelers having a really nice bounce back year and going like 11 and five and being one of
2: best teams I, in football. I totally agree with you. If you're looking for one of the best division winning value bets, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers.
1: Yeah. We're on the same page, Chris, as always. We us- you know what, Chase, we
2: usually are.
1: That's good. Either good or scary. Depending on who you ask, and it's that's all how about and
2: that's why I know you're a good man. Oh, absolutely. all right, brother.
1: All right, Chris. Thank you so much. We can listen to you every weekday on the Rich Eisen show, next to Del Tufo, who lies about hitting holes in one on his first ever golf swing. <laughs> um Rich Eisen over there. <laughs> yeah, um, but we will do that. I listen. You should listen too, Chris. Always a pleasure. Thank you for making the time, and I will talk to you again soon, man.
2: Of course, man, always a pleasure. Appreciate you having me. Be well.
1: And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second leave lead the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we will be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys.
2: who get it done.